name is David Yoakum, and I'm the director of the lab at DC. And it's my pleasure today to have Eugen DeMont with me, who's a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Pennsylvania and also an external fellow at the University of Nottingham. And one of the areas that you're a real expert in has to do with social norms. And so I thought what we would start off with is if you could kind of explain what is a social norm as a concept and how do researchers even approach that issue? How do you study it? Yeah, so an easy way to think about a social norm is it's a type of behavioral rule that a group or a society or any type of subgroup really agrees upon, where people think that a certain type of behavior is the way that we should behave and certain rules that we should follow. And it makes it social in the sense that we do care about following these norms. And the way we do care about these things is we make people follow these norms for punishment if they decide to deviate. So what is really social about these type of interactions is that um, it's not so much just telling people what to do, but it's also creating an environment in which uh, people um, have the incentive mm -hmm. to follow these norms and follow these rules that are prescribed maybe by, by the population or any type of subgroup. Could you give a few examples? Well, so, um, I mean, very straightforward way is the, the side of the road on which you're driving. I mean, that's also governed by law, but it's also if you come to a country, you don't know the laws, what you will do, you will observe behavior, and you will quickly learn what people do, and you will infer appropriate behavior. But we do see norms everywhere, and we have this in our private life where we know it's not okay to uh, to say things behind somebody's back because this will backfire eventually. Um, but um, what really what really drives these type of uh, conformity to the norms is uh, the way in which we have the um, way of enforcing and reinforcing these types of uh, behaviors. Well, so how do you actually go about studying this then as a scientist? Well, so the way we do study in sort of a laboratory type of perfect world environment is we try to incorporate um, norms from the world by giving people information, participants information about what is going on um, and, and what is sort of appropriate in a decision in a situation that they have to take. So if they have a situation to face that they don't clearly know what is the appropriate behavior, the way we sort of study behavior is by giving them sometimes information about what other people said is appropriate, what other people did in this type of situation. And then what we try to find out is how do people react to these type of uh, information, how they change their behavior. Subsequently. So you'll give a statement like, in this country, people drive on the right. Or yes. this yes. many people smoke on campus exactly, or something yeah. like that. Exactly, yes. Well, what, so what about in the wild, though, where people aren't, you know, whenever I'm walking around the street, people don't come to me and give me these statements. How do I go about kind of perceiving and learning what the norms are around me? Yes, uh, I mean, the, the most straightforward way is observation, right? So, I mean, you, you come to a new environment and you and see people engaging in their natural world environment and natural behavior. So observation is one thing. The second thing, you can always reach out and try to sort of get clarifications about the norms. Um, but um, I would say that in reality, the very clear, straightforward situations are usually very obvious. It's more about the nuances and whether we know how much to tip. And in different countries, the norms are very different and, and it's very difficult to observe what people do. So either you, you ask sort of for advice or you try to make sort of your own due diligence uh, beforehand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so earlier you gave a very good talk at the launch at DC. And one of the things that you sort of alluded to was actually some work you were doing, I think related to taxes. Mm -hmm. Could you say a little bit about what that is? So what we tried, so this project is joint work with uh, colleagues in Italy. And so what we did, we tried to understand how do people change 
their tax evasion behavior or the inclination to evade taxes, if you change the institutional environment, then the way we look at institutions in that particular case is type of whistleblowing environment. So if you make it easier, in situations where you have to, uh, if you rely, if you want to evade your tax, but you rely on a tax officer to actually sign it off, the way you can make it more likely that he will sign off is by sliding over uh, sheet of paper with some money and, and bribing him, but in situations where you have strong institutions and you can whistleblow um, as, a, as, a, as a citizen if the tax officer was not, was not, was not um, engaging in, 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 in sort of good behavior or treating you appropriately, in situations like these, there's a lot of risk on the side of the public officials on misbehaving because at any point, a given time, they could be um, whistleblower on. And so what we studied is how do people engage in, in, in these type of, of situations? Can we break apart uh, illicit cooperation between citizen and public officials hmm. if we introduce the option of sort of crown witness regulation in giving the opportunity to whistleblow and creating more risk on the side of the right, public official. Right. And one of the things that you sort of mentioned there was another thing that you were hitting on in your talk, which is sort of perceptions around the, the likelihood of being sort of caught people yes. deviating from a norm and whether it's being just the overall chance of being caught or what the punishment is could you sort of unpack these dynamics that are at play whenever people are thinking about the certainty or uncertainty yes. of punishment yeah. so the historically the the my the literature in which i am uh, engaging in the economic literature is sort of coming with this idea that we are rationally analyzing every situation and we can always for the most part make very clear assumptions about what is the risk that i'm facing and what is sort of the benefit that i can get out of this and so using this idea the the, the literature came up with this approach of saying well we can guide people's behavior by either playing around with the severity of punishment make it more or more just giving higher punishment, a lower punishment to people, or playing with the certainty of punishment and making it more likely to get caught or not. And so sort of the interplay of these two things allows to guide people's inclination to deviant behavior. And something that we did is to introduce a third um, sort of dimension to it, which is the timing of the punishment. Because in reality, you obtain the benefits now, but the punishment might come way later. So you are basically sort of discounting the future and it has less of an impact on what you do now the further ways the, the, the punishment is. And we see this with cases like Berlusconi or other cases where institutions are so weak that even if you are being caught for misbehaving, you're basically never punished. And so how should this uh, deter, you know, uh, uh, prevent people from engaging this? Uh, we believe it can't. So, right. yeah. Well, so let's, let's pivot it a little bit in thinking about concrete kind of applications for, for government. And I mean, from a lot of the research you've been doing, you've hit on sort of two really important layers. I mean, one that has to do with punishments and incentives. I mean, this is often what the regulatory state is, you know, where we have tools like being able to have a police force or taxes or things like that. But you also hit on the layer of whenever you kind of strip that away, you're just thinking about communities and society and all of the ways they regulate themselves independent of what government's doing. It's kind of how yeah. it sort of the resonates with me whenever you're talking about social norms. Drawing on this kind of rich body of, of work that you're familiar with and that you've been pushing yourself, if you put yourselves in the shoes of somebody who's running a government, are there particular things that you'd be sort of most eager to, to bring that research to bear on, either particular regulatory examples or particular problems like you know, everything from policing to mundane littering? Like what, are the, what do you think the things are that we in government should be paying a lot of attention to based on this research. Yes, yeah, so surprisingly many of the interventions that we do are um, 
not taking into account the dynamics between people. So very often we study some sort of um, initial change of an institutional environment and then we hope that this will sort of last forever. What we don't clearly understand yet in the research field is how the dynamics and the interplay between people changes maybe the effectiveness and efficiency of some of some, mm -hmm. some uh, institutional changes. And something that we have been eager to study and learn more about is to understand how behavior among individuals or among groups of people affects and spreads and sort of in a way is contagious. And before before we don't understand, before we have an understanding of how this works, we cannot clearly implement uh, institutional changes that, that are effective even in the long run, not only in the short run. Right. Well, so what about something like um, communications, which I know some of the, there are some instances of examples where social norms are being used, and one, of, one prominent example is in the tax space, where if you tell people how many others are paying taxes yeah. on time, if it's a really high number, there can be a tendency for people to be more likely to pay yeah. taxes. But I've also seen a lot of instances where these types of experiments I haven't worked. Sort of like the whole body of field as it says. We're sometimes telling people about what other people are doing work, sometimes it doesn't. And I'm wondering what are the kind of parameters there that, that matter? And whether, for instance, it has something to do with the likelihood that somebody even identifies with a norm. Yes. Is this group that's being talked about my group? Yes. Is there something here to, to be unpacked? Absolutely, because at the end of the day, we do care more about behavior if it's coming from a group that we care more about than others. So the relevant social group is what defines how we how, how much we conform to a certain type of behavior. So me learning about what is appropriate in a completely different country, in a completely different environment, it's not going to be as informative and as uh, effective in guiding my own behavior as opposed to me telling um, how my parents and friends and all these uh, close groups behave. So there's definitely the social dimension in terms of how close we are to the people and how relevant we perceive the behavior to be. Um, but so in, in, in some of the research that, that we have done, we try to understand to what extent people who are closer to us affect us in a completely different way as opposed to just learning information about what people generally assume to be appropriate, what generally uh, people did, because really they are not in my shoes in that situation and only I know what I need to do in that particular situation. People tend to self-servingly choose what they want to believe if they're uncertain about these things. Right. Well, so let me give you, let me give you two sort of policy areas and then I'd be curious not necessarily what's the right answer, because I gather that a lot of this research is still unfolding, but sort of how you would go about approaching it. How do you go about thinking about it? You can talk about both examples or just pick your favorite one, but let's say in one, we're the agency that's responsible for collecting taxes, and we're gonna be sending out letters or some other kind of communication. What we're hoping to do is increase sort of people fairly paying their mm -hmm. part, compliance with paying taxes. And the question is gonna be sort of, how would you go about thinking about that? For another kind of everyday example, let's think of something like people uh, recycling properly. And they're again having the opportunity to send letters or to put flyers on people's door where you can talk to them about recycling and littering sort of behavior. Yep. Pick either of the examples or both. What are the kind of things from the social norm literature or other fields would you want to sort of think through and how would you go about approaching one or both of those examples? Okay, so um, in, in general, what we, what we find is 
um, as I said, it's not sufficient to just tell people what they should do and they will comply with it inherently, right? It's more about changing their attitude towards certain things. And the only way of doing that is by giving them enough reason to deviate and change what they've been used to doing in the past. And what we find is most effective, let's say, for littering behavior is um, you do, especially what your close friends are doing, because you have this you want to have this esteem and you want to maybe have a certain reputation, you might want to have a certain standing in your group and if everyone is doing a certain type of behavior and if these people are, are important to you then you will try to do what they do and try to, to be part of them. So um, when, when you think about taxes, how to increase people's taxes, one way obviously is to let people know other people on average uh, pay the taxes after a certain amount of time or that's, that's the amount of people who pays after 90 days or something. And that's informative and that's great, but that's not going to change many people's attitude because they feel like, well, why, why should I care about these unknown, uh, this unknown population of people? Something we have been doing in our research suggests that if you would add some more information to that group and tell them, People in your neighborhood, people who have the same education, like people who have the same amount of debt like you, people who have been doing this and that, if you give them more information about the cohesion, about proximity to the people, you make them care, make them care more about these type of things, and they will say, well, now it's good, it's a group that I resonate with, because now it's not just a random sample of people that, 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 that you provide me information on, but it's people who are like me, and these people do exactly this, and how about I just conform to that behavior as well. Interesting. Interesting. So what, what's coming around the bin? What are the kind of research questions that you're about to start doing? What do you think are some of the big questions that we should be looking for answers to be coming hot off the presses over the next year or years? Yeah, so what we would like to learn more about is sort of behavioral change over time more than just studying behavior in a very very simple environment in the laboratory for an hour or two. We would like to understand whether changing people's behavior also makes them change this behavior a year later or two years later. Right? So what we would like to do have are um, projects that have more follow-up research where you can sort of go back to the same population and put them in the same situation and try to understand have they really changed the attitudes to, to this or have they just been sort of reacting to the incentives that you provided them. So that's something that we would like to do. Um, but we have a lot of research that is, that is beyond the laboratory environment, very applied in the field. Um, and, and, and try to make the, the approach, to change the approach to hygiene and use the facilities that they have. It's not just giving them the facility, not just introducing them to the ability and to the options of using them, but it's actually making them understand that it's better for them and better for the environment and better from a social perspective and from a welfare perspective and how to make this change and this transition from a bad type of behavior like to into a good one. And that's extremely difficult and uh, requires a lot of time and knowledge and human capital and money. Right. And we're happy to have uh, good partners and, and institutions that, right. that we do this with. And this, and this was a research where, if I recall right, was the introduction of toilets. Yes, and exactly. And even after investing lots of money in the infrastructure, still having problems with people actually using it. Which exactly. is kind of a, you know, pretty, to make a pause for a second on this problem, it's a pretty profound one where there are instances where you can invest tremendous amounts of money and time in setting up exactly. some sort of infrastructure, some sort of service, but if people don't use it for some reason, then it's as if you didn't make the investment at all. So what, what happened there? Why didn't the behavior sort of fall right into place once the technology and the infrastructure yeah. was introduced? Because at the end of the day, it hasn't become a social norm yet. Uh, what it has become is people imposing top-down on you what you should do 
um, because it helps maybe somebody or not, but it didn't really change the people's attitudes towards towards uh, this this problem. So what you need to do is to to start with with few people introducing and starting this type of behavior and people learning from that. So what you need is these first deviant people who are who are then guiding the crowd and pulling everyone out of that. So you need these these first movers basically, and that's difficult. But that's something that that Christina Vicari has been doing research on and sort of how to make people become these leaders and how then to pull more followers out of this right. type of a career. And have we learned any insights on what sort of things we can do to kind of stimulate these first movers to get these norms kick-started? Well, I mean, one, one typical problem with being a first mover is your uncertainty about whether your behavior will be punished maybe by the crowd or whether it will be appropriate. So what you need is a combination of giving certainty that this type of behavior really is the appropriate one and maybe a willingness to take the risk and maybe acknowledge that you might get punished first or you know socially excluded and somehow in a way. But so you need to give enough incentives so that, so that the first movers are willing and capable of deviating and taking on whatever pushback they receive and then after a while it will become more uh, way more easier because then people follow and then it becomes a social norm because this will not then be punished and right. Upon. right well final question and it's a generic one what is something that I didn't ask you that I should have or you wish I had I guess I guess one one question is how to um, engage in, in, in research like ours and to create more meaningful impact. Yeah. And so one way of doing that, we have a lot of initiatives where we try to cooperate with the, with the government and with different institutions and with different people, where we try to transform sort of the research that has been very theoretical in the past uh, and very sort of limited application, try to bring it to the field and bring it out to, to these more large-scale applications. So I guess um, an easy way of, of doing that is just contacting us and getting in touch with us or me and, um, and then be happy to, to uh, facilitate research. If you're going to do that invitation, how do people get in touch with you? Well, so they can email me or if they Google my name, Eugen Diemans, it's uh, very easy to find. And uh, uh, we have Penn Song, which we're the Penn Social Norms Group, and that group is focused on doing applied research in the field. Um, just, just get in touch with us and we're happy to find collaborations and, and uh, meaningful corporations. Wonderful. Well, with that, Eugene Dumont, everybody, thank you for your time and for the great presentation you gave at the launch at DC. And thank all of y'all for joining us today. Thank you so much.